Hello, hello. Welcome back. It's Tony here. I hope your year is coming to an end because we are in Q4, but coming to an end with a bit of a blast. Why do I say that? Because I think there is a real opportunity here to wrap the year up with a spectacular ending. And I'm certainly starting to have these conversations in my business, but also with my clients around what are we, what are we going to do to make 2023 really wrap up with a bang. So I'm hoping you're thinking that way too. That's not what today's conversation is about, but I just wanted to drop it in there because it's very top of mind for me right now. So if you're going to do one thing this week, other than listen to this podcast that is for you and your relationship development, have a think, what can you do in Q4 to wrap the year up with a bang and think, heck yeah, I'm awesome because you've still got time. You still have time. Don't start telling yourself the holidays around the corner. You don't have time to do all the things you started off. Pick one thing from that list you had back at the beginning of the year and say, what can I do? What am I going to be proud of by the end of the year? You might be surprised. Well, let's get into today's episode. I'm honored today to be joined by Shlaine Hutchins. She is a global information security leader. She happens to also be a coach. Uh, but Shlaine is a leader in cybersecurity, risk management, and IT governance with over 20 years of experience. But the thing I really love about this woman is she does not code. As she'll explain in the podcast interview, she learned to code, but it's just not her jam. I think that's such a cool journey to have had. And we're going to dive into a little bit of like, what does that look like? But Shalane has led information security teams at companies as big as JP Morgan Chase. Uh, she's also worked at startups. I know she's got a passion for startups, in fact. She specializes in providing expert guidance on implementing enterprise-wise security initiatives. But as I mentioned, she is also a certified coach, a life coach, and a career coach. And as she'll let you know in this episode, she has a few little things she likes doing in the background. One of them is listening to music and having a bit of a dance around, just to give you a personal take. So without further ado, let's get Shlaine onto the show. Welcome to the Leading Women in Tech podcast, the show that celebrates women in technology leadership. I'm your host, Tony Collis, and this podcast is the result of my passion for building better tech by diversifying the leadership of the technology sector. Join me on this journey as I discuss all things leadership, what it takes to be innovative, breaking through the glass ceiling, be a great leader, and how to navigate the unique experiences we face as women in tech. So sit back, grab your headphones, and get ready to be inspired to become a better leader. Welcome to the show, Shlaine. It's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. I would love to start this conversation with what you told me about when we first met, which is your career journey. In particular, those highlights and lowlights that I ask every single uh, guest on the show about. But how you came to be in cybersecurity as a leader, because your journey is very unusual. Yes, it started sort of unintentional. I've always been a part of IT. I have my undergraduate degree in electronics engineering uh, because I just like figuring out how things work. And from there, I've always had a job or a role that used a computer or surrounded a computer. I worked in a data operations center doing backup tapes and printing off reports. 
during the third shift, you know, by myself at night. I've worked on the help desk, supporting uh, people with their laptops and repairing them and sending them out. I've worked in customer service roles, taking phone calls and entering things in the computer. And from there, I moved into kind of a systems administration role where I was granting access, user access and permissions. And then I met a young lady who was an external auditor for our organization. And she said, oh, you'd be good at this IT auditing. I had no clue what it was. So I (laughs) did some research on it, saw that there was a certification and um, took the exam and passed the exam. And then I was able to apply for and get a job in the internal audit department. And it was from there I was able to look at an organization very differently and see things from a different lens, from kind of that high-level lens. And I got to see how IT and technology supported business processes. I got to work with other financial and business auditors to understand how those business processes flow. And so I was responsible for the technical controls around things. And that just kind of excited me again around, oh, wow, this is something bigger than what I just thought IT was. Um, from there, that's when kind of the the CISP, CISSP certification came into my purview. And I sat for that exam and it took me three t- three times to pass it. So for those listening, it's not an easy one. It's not supposed to be. But when you earn it, you know you earned it. But there were still no jobs that were related to security. Mm. And so things at that time were called information security because we weren't really all that connected to the Internet. And so how I kind of morphed into this cybersecurity space is because once businesses started using the Internet more and things started to be exposed to the Internet, it became this new sexy term, cybersecurity. And so I've stayed in the audit space for a while, but after the certification, never really got a role that had security in the title. I was a risk manager, risk assessor, risk advisor, vendor risk assessor, things like that. And it wasn't until I moved to a smaller organization that was like a startup, um, a healthcare startup organization that I had a job that had security in the title. And I started there as a security specialist. But I took all of my experience from my my past working in larger organizations like financial services organizations, large pharmaceutical manufacturing organizations, insurance organizations. And I brought that into this new startup firm. And it was there that I was able to help build out processes and build the things that were missing because they were a startup. And Mm. I started out as a security specialist. I moved to security officer because they were in the healthcare space and you needed a designated officer. So I became the external facing security expert for the organization. And then I moved into the director of information security role, um, director of governance, risk and compliance. And it was there that I really found my sweet spot of building and growing a team and taking all the experience and, and working with super technical people to help build out this function. And I ended up being responsible for risk management, security operations, IT audit, security investigations, and security awareness and training. And it was at that point that I'm like, wow, this is like a whole thing. And I really, really enjoyed it. I I love this story so much because yet again, we have somebody on the show who has an unusual path. You didn't train in cybersecurity. I actually think it's 
<laughs> somewhat hilarious that cybersecurity is now very yes. sexy, as you put it. Yes. I've seen this with so many things. You know, data science was a thing in my career where I was like, wait, I'm doing data science, but it wasn't a thing. And then suddenly it became sexy and you could get a qualification in it, but I never got a qualification in data science. <laughs> but I think it, your story epitomizes what I see so often, which is so many of us rise by just figuring out a route that works mm -hmm. for us. It's exciting to us mm -hmm. rather than following this very prescriptive path of, I know who I want to be in 10 years time. And then this is the one route, which I think so many of us start our careers with. This is the route I have to take. Otherwise I'm a failure. And I certainly mm -hmm. work with women who are adamant that they've, they've got to do these 10 steps. And I'm like, do you, do you really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I, I love your story because it's very, from the sounds of it, it's very organic. It it's is. happened to you, but you've also been intentional about the steps you've taken. Is that a fair assessment? That is fair. I think I was part of that um, population of women who, you know, you had to have your path charted out or else you were not a success. And even though I charted my path somewhat, for me, my personality is to do research and find things out for myself um, mm. because I didn't have those other leaders who were available to me to say, oh, well, this is the direction you should go or this is what you should do next. Um, even thinking back to when I first started my college experience, I had teachers and instructors tell me they wanted me to go away for college and live on a campus mm. and have the whole college experience. And I chose to stay home because I wasn't ready for that. And <laughs> I wasn't ready to leave my mom. I wanted to have my vehicle and my car and still drive. So I chose to go to a, a private university and get my degree in electronics mm. engineering and, and just go from there. And I, I just kind of you know, thinking about that, it's like, oh, well, I did really choose my own path, but I chose what was best for me at the time. I, I love that too. It's so funny you say that about going off to college, you know, that's the thing you're supposed to do. I've heard that narrative so many times. Mm -hmm. I certainly, I was desperate to leave home. I was so, so ready. <laughs> I love my mom and dad dearly, but no, I was totally ready to leave home. Funny thing is the week before I freaked out, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I was, I was, my mum said I was ready to leave home about three years before I actually was allowed to. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but there was certainly a story in my world, the people mm -hmm. I was exposed to, particularly my parents, of going to college is, is the thing, right? Mm -hmm. You need to go and you need to live away from home. Subsequently, you know, where I went to study, there were a lot of kids who didn't leave home, who stayed living at home because that was, you know, I moved 300 miles away to go to college. But, you know, at the University of Edinburgh, where I studied, there were a lot of people who stay home to study because it's more affordable. Mm -hmm. And it, that really flipped my narrative because a lot of those, they were so driven. Like this was the only possible way they could get an education. Uh, and they would go home and they would like have two or three jobs and be looking after their younger siblings. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What, where is this narrative that the only way to be successful is to leave home? Yes. I love that. I love that you upended it because it was what was right for you. Yes. I love that. Yes. And even choosing my degree, I chose electronics engineering because I didn't want to be siloed into just one particular field like mm. business or accounting or finance. And I believed at the time that engineering would give me a broader playground to play in. And it did. It does. Mm. <laughs> it, it really did. 
No, I think I think to some extent, I think some of those qualifications they give you the ability to learn and adapt because mm-hmm. almost certainly what you learn at college, correct me if I'm wrong, but is already out of date, right? Like it was out of date. Mm-hmm. I feel like my degree was out of date the year I graduated. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, then it was like in college, of course, I was one of only two women in my mm-hmm. program mm-hmm. and one of only two African-Americans. So, of course, with, with that limited scope, it's like, okay, what type of job will I be able to find when I graduate? Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, part of the degree did require coding and I discovered that while I could do it, I did not enjoy it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I speak to a lot of younger people wanting to, you know, pivot into the IT or pivot into tech and they're taking these coding classes mm-hmm. and they're software engineers. And I'm like, that's great if that's what you enjoy doing. However, throughout the entire span of my career, I've never had to code not write one piece of code. I understand it. I know how it works. And if I wanted to learn it, I could probably pick it up relatively quickly, Mm. but I specifically choose not to (laughs) because I just, I just, it it was very frustrating to me. Oh, I I hear on that. Like, although my first career was programming, I was never a superstar. I always joke with my husband. He I think he's a superstar programmer. Um, I'm slightly biased because he's my husband, but (laughs) I was never going to compete with that. (laughs) But I found my, my lead, you know, it was my leadership was my superpower. Um, Mm. And I think a lot of the time we forget that there are so many roles. One of the most amazing women I've coached over the years has a degree in, um, I think it's in theater. It's Mm -hmm. nothing to do with technical work. And yet she's one of the most extraordinary product people I've ever met. Mm. Her understanding of product and engineering is just the way she talks about it. I'm like, oh my gosh, like you inspire me every day. If she's listening to me, you know who I'm talking about, lovely. <laughs> um, and she just, she inspires me. She really, really does. And I think I wish more of us heard that. I really yes. do. You don't have to have all these things in order to be a particular thing. Ask yourself, do you need that at the end? Which yes. Brings me back to something you kind of mentioned in passing at the beginning there. You you mentioned, you know, not necessarily having this really clear path to success. But I also know that you are a certified career coach and a life coach as well. <laughs> yes. Um, and I certainly as a coach, I, you know, I'm a big advocate for like, let's put a plan in place because if it makes you more strategic with our limited resources and our limited time. So if you were coaching yourself... <laughs> What would you, what would you say, would you do anything differently? I think I would tell myself, you're doing it right. Because as I navigated through this journey, my career and my life, I was doing things out of sheer survival, sheer Mm -hmm. necessity. You know, just, you know, I needed a job. I needed to make a certain amount of money, and this was the way I could do it. I have my degree, and how can I utilize this degree, right? I've invested these these years in college getting this degree, so it's going to have to pay off in some way, shape, Mm -hmm. or form. And how is this? How can I position myself using this degree to get the type of role and the job that I want, making the income that I need to make to support myself and my family? So it was literally survival. But talking to my younger self, I think I would encourage her and let her know that 
you're doing it right mm. and it's okay. No, I love that. Well, actually, let's t- touch on that. You clearly believe in yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And this is when I first met you, this is the thing that really stood out to me. I would say it's your superpower. And I think oh. it is a beautiful thing because so many of the women I work with do not believe in themselves. <sighs> yeah, life, life throws us a lot, right? Um, yes. I think it beats us down a lot. So what would you say has given you this ability to believe in yourself that so many of us lack? Like, I don't, do you agree that you're unusual? Um, <laughs> well, you know, when I'm pumping myself up, yeah, I am all of that in a bag of chips. And then there are those times <laughs> when I, <love> it. I <laughs> feel so small mm. and just so, you know, not special and just ununique. But for me, I think it was self-reflection, doing a lot of self-work doing um, a lot of um, therapy, actually. But there was some professional leadership trainings that I participated in that were really focused on emotional intelligence Mm. and doing that self-work and peeling back the layers and identifying those things that just continue to pop up in your life. You know, it's like, why do I always do that? Or why do I always say that? Or what is it about this situation that brings this out in me? Mm. And once, you know, I'm able to actually put a name on it or put a label on it, and then I can actually assess it and review it and say, am I going to hold on to this or am I going to let it go? And so it was really doing that reflection, that introspection and recognizing that what I have and who I am is absolutely perfect for me in this moment. I love that for me in this moment. I think so many of us, if we added that qualifier to our self-doubt, mm-hmm. it would it would just shift that internal narrative. And, you know, listen to you, it's, it's fascinating because, you you know, the first time we met, I was like blown away with like this woman, she's got it, she has it. And you've just admitted to us that actually there are times when you feel small and not special and I, so many of the women I, I listen to the show will resonate with that. I certainly do, right? I think a lot of people think I've got I've got it all together. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pretty open on this show. I have immense amounts of imposter syndrome. I just know how to recognize it and deal with it, you know, mm-hmm. right? It's, mm-hmm. but it's still there. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and and I, I, can I just interrupt you yeah, right course. there? There was a wonderful article in HBR, and I'm not going to get the author's names perfect, but it's it's called Stop Telling Women They Have Imposter Syndrome. I read that. And that kind of annoys yes. me a little bit at one's level, but. <laughs> but I, it totally resonated mm-hmm. with me because, again, it brought out two things that stuck with me. It's like you have a, a disease and then you're a criminal. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. no, I'm not a criminal and I don't have a disease. And feeling unsure and uncertain about ourselves in high pressure situations, it's absolutely normal. We get to normalize that mm-hmm. and say, okay, today I'm nervous. And, you know, what are the tools that I have in my toolbox to help me when I'm nervous? Mm-hmm. What are those things that I do? Like before preparing before a big presentation or an interview or something, I put on my favorite song and music and dance around to pump my, get my energy flowing mm-hmm. and pump myself up. If I'm on a call that I know 
I need to be very present and very alert. I use a standing desk. I rise and stand Mm -hmm. up so that I can rise to the occasion. But it's really being conscious and intentional about how I want to show up in that moment. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, to be completely honest and transparent, I am an introvert, complete introvert. I can do without other people all the time, like <laughs> at home, close my doors and windows and just veg out on TV yep. without a problem. However, I also know that I need other people and sometimes mm. it requires me to be in front of other people and it requires me to give and that takes a lot of energy. And so I get to fill myself up with self-care and taking those moments to to kind of just build myself up before I expend that energy to give to others. Because mm-hmm. even what I found in my coaching and life coaching, career coaching, is that that's what actually ignites me and fuels me is being able to give and share with others. Yeah. Oh, you speak my language completely. <laughs> Fellow extreme introvert here. I, like whenever I do yes. a personality test, I'm so introverted. I'm like almost off the scale. I'm like, how do I function? <laughs> and nobody quite believes it. Anyway, right. <laughs> it's it's fun. Um, okay. Let's talk about the difference between management and leadership. Cause I also know that this is something you're very, very passionate about and why we need both. Yes. And also what that means in the context of your career as a cybersecurity leader who doesn't code. So tell Mm -hmm. me, why are management and leadership both needed and how do you use that differentiation on a daily basis as a leader? Right. I believe that the difference between management and leadership is that leaders set the vision and set the context and invite others along on the journey. And managers actually go in and tells the team the specifics or the details or how Mm. it's going to be done, right? And so sometimes a team requires management. Sometimes they they cannot just catch the vision. They can't get it. Mm-hmm. They, they can't see the forest for the trees, right? And then other times you have teams who are ready. They're ready for a vision. And if you just give them a safe space and create an environment for them to be their best selves and be creative, then they will figure out how to achieve that goal and get to that vision. And then you can all share in the success. Let me just interrupt you for a second, if you don't mind. Uh, while we're having a great time with this discussion, I'm certainly having a blast. I just want to ask a favor of you. If you are finding this conversation inspiring, please do me one favor. Please share this with somebody that you think needs to hear this show. If you have the bandwidth for a second favor, please hit like and subscribe in your favorite platform, whether that's on YouTube or on your favorite podcast player. The more likes and subscribes we get, the easier it is for us to reach more people and hopefully to change the world. Thank you so much. And it's just understanding the balance between the two. And sometimes you have to, what I call style flex, in and out of leadership and management, depending on the meetings that you attend from day to day. Some meetings you can go in and be a leader and set the vision and talk at a high level and give that 30,000 foot view. And then other meetings you have to shift into the dirty detail. And then when, you know, as a leader, when I don't have all the detail, I like to bring my subject matter experts along so that they can give Mm. the detail. But I'm also giving them space to to grow into their own leadership and be recognized as that expert instead of staying behind the scenes. 
so many little nuances you just mentioned there. <laughs> um, particularly this, I like this concept of style flex. Mm-hmm. You're spot on, in my opinion, there of like part of what we have to do as leaders. Before we dig into that a little bit more, I'd love to know, do you think your ability to do that style flexing is part of why you've been so successful and being able to do what you've been able to do without that coding background? Or do you think you would have done it anyway, even if this wasn't your superpower? I think, I think I've learned it naturally. I never knew what it was. Right. Because, you know, you get the question throughout your career. It's like, well, how do you do that? And I'm like, I don't know. I just (laughs) do it. Right. And it's not until you actually sit down and do that reflection. And again, a coach needs a coach. So I have a coach. I have several coaches. Mm -hmm. Right. Who says, hey, Shlaine, go back through your month or go back through your week and identify those things that you did that were successful. And then take another step back and identify the steps you took to do those things, right? And it wasn't until I was able to do that that I was able to realize, oh, I'm actually style flexing. Oh, or this is what I did in order to create that. Or this is how I can do mm-hmm. that. Or when I am, in, you know, experience this type of personality in a meeting, then maybe I could shift here or shift my language or shift my posture to do this, right? And it wasn't until I actually did that study of myself mm. that I was able to identify it. But I think for me, it just, again, more survival tactics. It's like, mm. okay, that's not working. Let's do this. <laughs> or that doesn't work. We'll try this. And then learning over time, because it did not come at first, how to not beat myself up for when mm. it didn't go quite as expected or the way I want it. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so funny to hear you say you've got a coach. I think <laughs> <laughs> I also, I have two or three coaches right now it comes mm-hmm. and goes I've had one particular coach for years but the others come and go depending on what you supported um and it's so you know I've seen this time and time again those of us who've learned to coach quite often have coaches yes anyway side note there um I would love to spend a moment digging into the fact that you're a black female technical leader mm-hmm. sadly you're a bit of a unicorn mm-hmm. and you know there are people out there that say you're always going to be a unicorn. Mm. And I really, really hope that we can make a change so that that's not true. What do you wish the black women coming along behind you? Because there are, there are an increasing number of them training in tech, working in tech, but all too frequently, same as women, but at a higher proportion, mm-hmm. leaving tech too early. What mm-hmm. do you wish they would know and hear from you? I wish they would know that they belong. There is space enough for them. Even people with big personalities who take up a room when they walk in or just when they smile, that there is still enough space Mm -hmm. for them. Because, (laughs) again, I think it was just sheer ignorance on my part. But coming up, I always felt like I belonged wherever I was. And it it could have been ignorance or it could have just been unawareness or it just could have been the the time and the the society Mm -hmm. that I grew up in where when I entered a space, I knew I belonged there because I was there. You know, I passed the exam. I got the job. You know, I passed the interview. So if I'm there, that means I belong. 
And I offer that to those coming behind me. When you have done all that you can do and you get to that spot, then take up the space, take up all the space, you know, put your shoulders back and puff out your chest and just show up Mm. and do that every single time. Because sometimes as we've found out that a lot of spaces aren't created with us in mind. And while there is an increased interest in diversity, equity, and inclusion, some of them are falling off. You know, those, those, those promises that were made two or three years ago about creating more space for diverse women of color in IT, they're not holding to their promises. So, if you don't find a space or you have an ally to help open the door, then take up the space and then make space for someone else to come along with you. Yeah, you're spot on there. Things are falling off. I think it is very fascinating to me. A lot of the changes that were made to be more inclusive. And actually, I was just interviewing a lady here. We're going to have on the podcast in two weeks time. I'm just interviewing these two ladies back to front. I was just interviewing her about in- her work around inclusion and she calls it respect. Mm-hmm. And we were talking about how actually a lot of the work that needs to be done is actually better for everybody. And I've seen you know, the work I'm doing, even just talking to the white women, how now it's more of an employer's market than an employee's market, how so many of those things are just falling back down. And guess who gets hit first? Yes. The most underrepresented groups every yes. time. Every actually, time. It's bad for business. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, yeah, you and I know this. Bad for productivity. Bad for attracting and retaining your top talent. It's just bad all over. Mm-hmm. Breaks my heart. Well, what I would just say is I am delighted for the human race that you felt able to belong because whatever that, whatever the reason, you are going to be somebody who is shining a light for somebody who doesn't feel quite able to belong coming along behind you. We need people like you. So thank you. Thank I, I, you. Yeah, sadly we don't have enough of you, but <laughs> you're going to make it easier for somebody else coming along behind us, behind you. And I do think that is part of the work we do in whatever way we're underrepresented is please make it easier for those coming along behind you, please. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So obviously I have an audience here where I know a lot of my audience is, is white women, mm-hmm. but they do, because I talk about this kind of stuff on the podcast all the time, they do care deeply about div- equity, diversity, inclusion, and now I'm going to start saying respect as well, not just yes. belonging. <laughs> so yes. what do you wish the women listening to this podcast were doing to be a better ally to Black women? I would say continue to create those opportunities for women, for Black women, women of color, those marginalized groups, when you have a chance to. Speak up for them in those rooms that they don't have access to. Mm -hmm. And then when they're invited into those spaces in those rooms, pass the microphone. Let them speak because they have something to say and to share. And it is valuable. A hundred percent. I'm just going to add in there, ladies, there is so much room at the top. Mm -hmm. Don't be frightened. Don't fall into the trap that we're angry at men about that they think that it's giving up their seat there is so much space for great leadership what we're lacking is great leadership so if you find yourself going oh but that's my career check yourself on that my love 
please check yourself on that and come and have a conversation with me. Safe space if you need to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What would be your number one piece of advice to a woman in tech considering pivoting her career, potentially pivoting into tech, taking her next career step and thinking, gosh, do I need to do a boot camp? What would be your number one piece of advice for her? Wow. I would say, look at the skills that you already have. Not just the jobs that you've done, but the skills that you've acquired. Even as a mom, you develop a lot of skills that can be translated into the business place. Mm -hmm. Like budgeting, you can manage finances (laughs) or Project managing because you've, you know, set the schedule for your entire family on what time to get out the door, what time to get dressed, what time you right. So these are skills and recognizing the skills that you've had in your previous career. Even if you've worked at a fast food restaurant or as a server, you've developed customer service skills and skills on how to relate to people and deal with people. So I would say inventory those skills to see how they can apply to a particular job or industry within IT that you're considering pivoting into. Also, understand or find out which industry you want to pivot into. Mm -hmm. I hear a lot, oh, I want to be in tech. And I go, great. What do you want to do in tech? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) And they say, oh, I don't know. I think I just want to, you know, maybe code. And I'm like, okay, what industry? Financial industry, manufacturing industry, automotive industry, Mm -hmm. healthcare. Like, there's so many places that, you know, you can enter into or pivot into. You might not even have to leave your current organization. Mm. Right? So really, you know, take some time and think about that before thinking about jumping, you know, think about what you have and how it can be leveraged to just kind of transition or pivot a little bit into technology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the best leaders, again, that I've worked with are they've got skills from outside traditional tech and Mm -hmm. they brought them in because (laughs) traditional tech sometimes lacks some of those skills. Let's just go with that, shall we? (laughs) Um, But yeah, you also hit the nail on the head. Tech is huge now. Like it's, I would say almost every business is tech. It just doesn't look that way. Yes. Um, They tend to, you know, that, you know, even grocery stores have so much tech working for them now. Yes. Um, So yeah, I I think that's really interesting way of looking at it. It's like, see if you can pivot internally Mm -hmm. um, and look at what your skills are. I love this. I'd love to move on to our quick fire round. You ready for this? I think I am. Okay. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? (laughs) I thought about that and I thought about that. And I'm like, to be completely honest, Tony, if someone gave me advice and it didn't feel right with me, I didn't take it. (laughs) That is hands down the best answer I've had on this show. And I've been asking that question for about a year because I love the answers. Hands down, best answer. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we all need we all need a bit of Shlaine inside us. I love this. I mean, again, it's like I ask my friends for advice, but and then they tell me, but sometimes I just want to see for myself. Yeah. And then if it doesn't work out, then I might go back to the advice. But yeah, I I really struggled with that one. I'm like, I I really don't take bad advice. <laughs> love it. Love it so much. What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Celebrate your accomplishments. So many times 
because I'm such going, going, going mm-hmm. and doing, 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 and you do one thing and you go off and it's like, oh yeah, I did that one thing. And you do another thing. And it's like, oh yeah, I did that other thing. I never stopped to pause mm-hmm. and acknowledge what I just did and how great it actually really was or how awesome it was or the impact that it mm-hmm. had because I was just doing me, right? And it's like, no, I get to celebrate that and I get to celebrate me. So taking time to acknowledge my accomplishments. I'd totally give you a high five if we were in right now. <laughs> I, all my clients listen to this chuckling so much because I'm obsessed with celebration. Every yes. Friday, like, what are we celebrating? And every coaching session, like, what's your win for this week? Yes. Yeah, it's foundational to having that mindset for doing the hard stuff. It is. It really is. Oh, I love it. What's the last book you read and would you recommend it? The last book I read actually was The Parable of the Talents by Octavia E. Butler. And she was kind of a unicorn in her own right because she was an African-American woman who wrote sci-fi books. And this particular book was set in the time of 2032. So kind of futuristic and Mm. kind of apocalyptic. So it was actually pretty kind of scary but pretty a pretty good read i like her her Ooh. books <laughs> oh i'm gonna be checking i've not heard of her i'm gonna be checking yes. her at least i don't think i have hmm i've definitely not ever read anything by her i have such a long reading list now i have so many great recommendations <laughs> on this show but she is going on my list i love yes. some sci-fi what is your favorite mindset tip to help women leaders oh mindset tip is believe believe mm-hmm. in yourself and it's, you know, I've heard the fake it till you make it and eh, I, sometimes, but it's just believe, believe in you. Yeah. I think the fake it till you make it is just a... Comes from that scarcity mindset. It does. It absolutely is a scarcity mindset. It's like, well, I can't possibly, so therefore I'll try. I'm right. like, well, let's just step into let's do. Let's just step there. I love this. Exactly. Believe. I love it so much. Shane, this has been an extraordinary conversation. I feel like you've warmed my soul today. How can people find out more about what you do, connect with you, get your support? Awesome. Um, You can always connect with me on LinkedIn and please include a message with this podcast listed so that I know and recognize you and make that connection. I get hundreds of requests, mostly from salespeople. But if someone sees me in passing, I would like to remember and really have a real meaningful connection because I'm a real person. I'm a human. You're a human. I've coached and and mentored many women all over the world. So please, please, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. Also, I have my coaching website of uh, transformlifellc.com and you can reach out to me there if you'd like to have an introductory call or if you're considering some coaching. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Any final thoughts you want to share with us today before you wrap up? I just want to say it is an amazing time to be a woman. It's an amazing time to be in technology. Um, with AI coming, we literally have an opportunity in front of us to change the world. And I just invite all the listeners along this journey with me to help take part in changing the world for a better place. Honestly, you really do speak to my soul. I love 
hearing in in such a difficult time I think that we're also in I think your optimism it's what I, I I'm aspiring to and I think the world would be a better place if more of us had this outlook so thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us today for sharing thank your words you. of wisdom thank you for having me oh, it's my pleasure listeners I hope you are feeling as inspired and hopefully optimistic as I feel after this conversation but as always stay in your tech leadership game follow your dreams because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech